Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Wheel Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. This week, we'll be covering chapters 5 and 6 of The Great Hunt, The Shadow and Shinar, and Dark Prophecies. Enjoy. All right, welcome to Season 2, Episode 3. Uh, moving right along with The Great Hunt. Uh, getting to really, I guess what I call, it gets more and more exciting as this book goes on. Um, that's one thing that you'll, people, uh, and you guys will find this as you move along, but one thing that people always say about The Great Hunt is compared to Eye of the World is that the pacing is so much better. Now, not all the books have the same pacing, but The Great Hunt has a very, very good cadence as far as just like it doesn't have those big lulls I feel like either world does sometimes. Um, a lot of people say like that Camlin Road traveling traveling chapters are kind of like a lull. And a couple other chapters that people are you know it slows down, it picks back up. Whereas the Great Hunt keeps going pretty steady the entire book. So and it picks up fast and just rides. So excited to get into the Great Hunt um, a little bit further in, and, and this is definitely going to be an exciting episode. At least I think so. I love these chapters. <laughs> but before we get into these. Um, as always, I have to do my quick housekeeping and go through and make a couple of big announcements. Um, uh, first of all, the biggest announcement is if you're listening to this live, you're a patron because we went back to patron only for our live recordings. Um, now, that, that level starts out at a very low entry level. is $1 a month. Um, but with that being said, we've actually had four new patrons patrons in the last week uh, join. So we had Mandarp, our horse, our talking horse on, on Discord. Um, MK are the ambulance seat. Um, Luce Theron and Dean Moxley himself. It's Dean Moxley. Um, so uh, thank you guys so much. Um, appreciate all the support you guys give us. Um, and, 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 you know, whenever we get new patrons, it's very exciting for us. Um, as far as anything else in housekeeping goes, um, the next giveaways I'm going to do, I was trying to plan on doing one August, but instead of just doing it like, every other month or some of that, I think about revamping that and going to kind of like milestones, giving it away. So, you know, we're kind of steadily marching towards a couple of big milestones. Um, we're getting closer and closer to that 10,000 downloads mark. Um, you know, we're well over 7,000, almost 8,000 now. Um, when I just checked it before I got out here, uh, Twitter followers, we're marching towards a thousand followers. Um, 
Now we still got a ways to go there, but you know, that would be a big milestone for us. And then also think about doing giveaways as when we get a certain level of patrons. So, um, yeah, so we're going to do some more giveaways. Uh, they'll be coming soon. So we're, we're looking forward to, uh, to, you know, maybe give away books. Um, another thing we have in the works as well is possibly a merchandise store. Uh, there's been a whole lot of talk about that. We are currently, um, um, kind of looking at different websites and different options for that. So that's still in the very baby stages, but we will go ahead and start designing stuff as well. Once we figure out what site we're using, but you know, there's some sites that are geared right towards t-shirts only and some that actually have more, you know, like coffee mugs and pint glasses and things like that. So trying to find a really well-rounded site is actually kind of tough that does like all sorts of different types of merchandise. So so we're, we're just doing some research in the very beginning stages there and um, more to come on that as we get closer and closer to maybe an official launch of some kind of merchandise for us. But we'll have all sorts of cool stuff uh, once that comes. So excited about that. Um, moving on to personal life. Um, you know, I'm back at work for, for now. Um, I, I think the numbers on, are ticking up everywhere as far as the COVID numbers. So I don't know how much longer I'm going to stay back at work. But we did have the 4th of July last weekend, which was a lot of fun. I had a little cookout at my house. Um, had a few, very, very few people over. Um, they're still trying to keep the numbers small. But my wife made watermelon margaritas. That's why I have tequila as well. Um, yep. They were deadly and delicious. So Yeah. So um, she made them good. Oh yeah, uh, she used all sorts of weird ingredients that I didn't think would work, but uh, man, it worked. Um, she found some recipe online, um, but she actually blended the uh, you know fresh watermelon down, squeezed out the juice, and then uh, strained out the actual you know stuff, and then uh, you know mixed in some other some lime juice, some other stuff, and yeah, it was good. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, so I, I'll have to steal the recipe from my wife and make it. You know, maybe we all get together, we could do. Watermelon margaritas, or maybe in Jordan Con, we'll do watermelon margaritas. I'm down. <laughs> Along with you don't have to twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I do all sorts of stuff. What about you guys? Oh yeah, yeah. So okay, uh, this week uh, I'm camping. I'm I'm putting up air quotes like you guys can see it. Uh, I'm camping with the boys. We're at a campground, uh, but we're staying in a cottage, you know, so it's air conditioned and everything. So. Uh, kind of camping light, but uh, been doing a lot of fishing out here. Uh, where we're fishing, it's pretty close to the York River. Uh, today, we caught a couple spot, a couple of croaker, uh, reeled in a bunch of crabs. Like, these crabs uh, apparently are very hungry because they were actually eating our squid, and we could pull them all the way up on the dock. And we reeled in a little sand shark. Um, so we got all those uh in the fridge right now and if we catch some more tomorrow we're gonna do a little fish fry and grill that stuff up and steam up the crabs and it's been a lot of fun uh fourth of july uh i did out at the the river house y'all on discord have seen some pictures of the a lot of the sunsets i put up there but there's a campground nearby there that does fireworks so we just did a little party in the neighborhood uh one of the neighbors had a live band out there um yeah so the last Tony, man, since my boys have been out with me, it's been like nonstop partying and hanging out and just having a good time. So I, I can't complain. Speaking of fishing, one of my good friends, uh, Ian, maybe you have to come down for this because we're actually in the process of setting up a chumming rig uh, for his boat so we could actually go shark fishing and Cobia. Yeah. But um, we're, we're, we're um, setting up a chumming rig where uh, we're using PVC pipe um, where we can 
um, basically grind up a bunch of stuff and make a chum line. So they can catch shark. Um, they <laughs> so, yeah, good fishing for shark. Um, I've I've got one rig set up for shark right now uh, with braided line, and then you know the end is all metal and giant nasty hooks, and yeah, I'm I'm ready for that. So. I had a really interesting 4th of July weekend. Um, actually had all of my siblings together in one place, which is always fun. <laughs> um, so we, we did a, a family COVID only or COVID family only cookout. And we just got the opportunity to really just hang out and, and enjoy each other's company. And then on Sunday, hung out with my boss, one of my bosses, job number three and four at her house and uh, her husband and I grilled a bunch of food. So really two major cookouts. Um, other than that, just been busy with work. I've you know, got my marketing company, if you can call it that, kind of set off. It's a, a one-man band show and gotten 15 leads in two weeks, which is pretty awesome. Um, but I've only gotten one conversion. Still, that's pretty great for a small group of you know, chiropractors and brain, we use neurofeedback to do a thing called brain core. And so that one package was a $7,000 value. So yeah, that's good money for, for our office. If I can get two or three more of those converted, that would be freaking awesome. <laughs> but you know, just staying on the grind, working on school stuff and, and trying to just keep myself busy. <laughs> Sounds like once again you're always busy. <laughs> Keep keeping that up, but um, let's go ahead and move right into the chapter. So, or not to the chapter, but to the episode. So, predictions. Um, so this week's gonna be a little different because actually a lot of people write predictions in parts of Discord you can't see. So I'm gonna actually read some of those as well because uh, I write them my own, but then people actually write down some of the ones that they thought was was funny. Are they liked a lot? So I'll pick a few of those because some of them are, are pretty funny. Um, some of them are overlapped. Like one was Fane is uh, more death or becoming him was a prediction. I think uh, Chris made that prediction, and Ian followed up with that Matt Stebbs more death are Fane in book twelve with the dagger. Um, yeah, uh, Moraine is HBIC. Uh, I think Chris uh, <laughs> made that prediction. Um, <laughs> You know, she, she's she's the boss bitch. Um, and then going down, um, you know, that the one prediction is that we'll learn a whole lot more about Isodai once we get to, if we ever do get to Tarvalon. Obviously, we probably will there. Um, one prediction that Ian had as well is Al Thor is not really Rand's name. It might be something confusing with the Dark One. And another one that Chris made is that Tom uh, will get come back and hook up with Moraine. Uh, something on a mustache. <laughs> and something on a mustache ride. Uh, <laughs> mustache is. Mustache is ride. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So uh, just some interesting, uh, good predictions from you guys last episode. So hopefully it'll be a lot more. Um, I feel good about all of those still. I still feel really good about those. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doubling down. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get right into this episode because I have a whole lot of notes. And I know these chapters aren't extremely long, but there's a lot of them. Um I don't know about you guys, but I think we're going to talk for a little longer on these ones. So let's go ahead and get ready. I feel like we could have done a full episode on each chapter. There, yeah. There's good stuff here. This is so freaking – I'm yeah. loving it. 
Okay, so chapter five, the shadow in Shinar. And the icon is the sunburst, um, which I know probably confused the crap out of you when you read the first line. You saw that icon, and we've seen this icon before. Um, and we've always associated this with white cloaks. The Inquisition, the Inquisition. Yeah. Yeah. So thoughts about the chapter title now that you've read it and the icon. Oh, well, kind of like you said, getting rolling. I was like, wait a minute. I think that I didn't think that was the direction we were going. Um, but obviously we get a little a little glimpse of them in the middle of this chapter. Uh, but even still, that doesn't make sense. Them being in Shinar, I don't think the areas they were traveling in. Well, I guess we could talk about that when we get there, but that sure. they're nowhere near. Yeah, they're nowhere near Shinar. <laughs> right. So I don't know. Still confused, but yeah. sure. It begs the question: Does this particular icon only represent the white clothes? Yeah. Mm. Well, mm. I mean, maybe it does, but now we're seeing it pop up in places where. I mean, they're like you said, they're in the chapter, but it's like, right? Maybe there's more to this story because mm-hmm. there's also a lot of black in that sun, so maybe it's something yeah. more to do with like a union between the light and the dark, the white cloaks and the the dark friends. Hmm. Or, I mean, remember our prologue? Uh, you know, maybe there's uh, enough dark friends within the white cloaks or, or they're in a position with enough power that uh, the white cloaks aren't as whitey as they thought they were. Yeah. Then are we sure it's the sun and not like an urchin? <laughs> yeah. There's a little, like, yeah. like a, a dark urchin. Maybe that's dark. what the eyes are that are watching. Maybe this is a representation <laughs> of uh, more death. Uh, maybe. Huh? Huh? <laughs> it's um, like the shadow in Shinar is the title and then if you really zoom in which I can do on my tablet it doesn't look like a sun it looks more like a mouth with spikes <laughs> around it and like tentacles huh okay I can't zoom in on my book so <laughs> as you said yeah, that I look really, really close, close to my yeah. book. I got <laughs> My uh, page. <laughs> like now that I'm looking at it, I'm like this could be an urchin and it could be a dark urchin and it could be, uh, you know, part of the shadow. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's go <laughs> and jump right into this episode. So before we get in there, I just want to recap from last episode, just just in case people listening didn't, you know, they're listening a week later, they don't remember what we just talked about. But um, um, last episode, we ended that very last chapter, very last line was Suwan saying, um, you know, if they ever find out what we planned, uh, we would be stilled for it, and they wouldn't be wrong to do it. And we just take, we, we start right up, right where we left off, and then they start talking about stilling. So that's the first thing that, that's going in, is we learn more about what stilling is, how rare it is, um, you know, and, and, you know, a couple of things about, um, you know, how, how often it's happened, or, you know, to even ambulance seats, it's happened twice, um, uh, we learned also a little bit about, you know, what their plans were because apparently they've been searching for Rand, this boy for 20 years. So this has been like their lifelong mission. Um, 
So I know Ian at first was talking about like, oh, well, the Dark One has so much together and blah, blah, blah. You know, like they've been, they've been planning as well for a very, very long time. <laughs> Maybe not as quite organized because they have to keep everything so secret, but they've, but at least the two of them, Moran and Swan, uh, our Amelon uh, Seed have been planning. So. Right. And and so far, I so I was going to mention that like, okay, we got to give some credit to, you know, air quotes, the light or the side of the light. Um, we have these two people that we know have been working for some time um, towards this big end game, not just the little piddly infighting that, that we've seen between the Aja and, you know, your mm-hmm. white folks just hunting down some dark friends. I mean, these two are focused on the big picture, right? Um, going back to the stilling, though, you know, I don't want to breeze over that too much. You know, they, they did mention, you know, what it was involved uh, or what was involved in that. But they also point out, I mean, the obvious, this is the Amarillo seat that is at risk um, of having to go through that. And there were only, was it just two other or three yeah. other? Two other Amarillo's have been stripped of their stole and staff. Um, and, and, both yeah. red, and both were the Red Aja. Yeah, so wildly significant. And, and then you also, you know, that also gives us a little taste of the politics still. They were Red Aja replaced by Blue. That's just mm-hmm. another reason why the Red Aja not only hate men, but apparently hate um, or would be eager to strip a Blue sure. Aja Amberlynn seat, you know, from power. And so. and the and the two that were stripped had well, horrendous crimes. I mean, one was stripped for not helping Manethrin because – you know, obviously set idle as Manethrin fell, you know, which is, if you think about how great of a nation Manethrin was, we talked about that in the first book, for yeah. the Amelin just to sit there and, you know, sit on their thumb and say, like, I'm just not going to help you guys. That was a, a great just crime. The second one was stripped for propping up Arthur Hawkwing, who ended up destroying, like, or well, taking over the entire world and actually turning against the Aes Sedai once again. Um, yeah. so. And just to be very clear, only twice since the breaking of the world has the Amarillo seat been stripped of stolen staff. So it's not saying that there was just two um, Aes Sedai that were stripped in total, but two right. Amarillo seat. Right. I want to make oh, sure yeah. that I got that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And they, they say it's happened multiple times that they memorize all the names of all the Aes Sedai that have been, but it's not that many still. It's still rare, uh, even yeah. amongst everyone else, but it happens a lot more commonly, I guess, amongst everyone else. Versus only two Amazon seat, um, so it's very, 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 very rare for Amazon seat to be. Yeah, but like, like the crimes you pointed out for the other Amazon seats that were stripped, like what what R two, I said I here are planning or plotting or what they're involved in. Um, so far, we've only seen what we think is good stuff happening. I mean, okay, they went and they found these boys and. Moraine sees something in them, so they're trying to protect them. But there's got to be more to it than that. That alone isn't reason, or at least it doesn't seem to compare to what these other two Amberlynn seats were stripped for. Right. Um, so how else well, were they involved? This compares the get plan into? that they have for our hero here. <laughs> right. They get into that more. You know, the prophecies must be fulfilled. You know, that's one thing they said. Yeah. And Moraine's actually get kind of upset that. Swan's not getting angry at her as much as she should. So Moraine actually starts to poke and poke the bear, I guess you would say, you know, <laughs> it starts, you know, to, and, and Swan finally does get really upset at Moraine, um, turns back and, and says, you know, we had a plan. The plan was to take them back to, to or take him back to Tarvalin. 
and I only got two messages from you. One when you said you got to Evans Field, and the other one saying you're going to Fondara, like to the blight. Why the hell would you do that? Um, um, uh, obviously, extremely pissed. And Marine's answer is actually a pretty good one. It's like it, they're to the pattern pays no heed to human plans. With all of our scheming, we forgot what we were dealing with. Tavirin, Elida is wrong. Arthur Pedra Tanriel was never this strongly Tavirin. The will will weave the pattern around this young man as it wills whatever our plans. Like, pretty, pretty cool. Like, she, like you said, she definitely put the bear because she definitely wanted to engage her and see where her mind was really at. It seems like that she has to trigger her to get her to come out and be blunt. Mm-hmm. But then that gives way to emotion. And then we kind of get the truth out of it all. So, you know, there goes Moraine making people feel like they're making their own decisions. Right. <laughs> and then, and then some choices. Oh, yeah. Choices. And then some of my favorite lines from this chapter come very next. Uh, this, this little interchange between Sawan and Moraine where, uh, Sawan says, you know, uh, are, do you suggest staying aside and just watching the world burn? And Murray answers, never aside, but the world will burn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't plan to stay aside. I plan on being involved, but no, the, the world's going to burn. And whether you want to just get over with it, just realize that's going to happen. Like, there's no preventing well, that. <laughs> and from what we know so far, that's part of the true drag being reborn. You know, he's going to break the world again before it's, I don't know what the term is, reset, uh, made right, I don't know. But part yeah. of his coming back is shit's going to get real. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, and then Swan kind of changes the subject. She moves to the horn. She pulls the horn out, um, you know, and, and kind of, you know, reads the scroll, describes all, you know, the horn again and uh, reads the scroll work. Uh, you know, the, the grave is no, is, is no bar to my call. And the, the prophecies said that this will be found right before the last battle. Are, you know, they're thinking like, is already that's close? Like, do we, do we have time? Uh, you know, they're worried about this. Like, do we have enough time to get everything ready? Like for this giant battle, you know, they start talking about the, uh, the, 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 the Koreathon cycle, which is the prophecies of the dragon. That's, we talked about that a little bit in the first book. And I think Chris, you're like, I want to know what the Korean, I was like, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I think it was like in the third or, <laughs> third or fourth chapter, they mention it, but it just breezes over. And I'm like, I don't, I didn't want to get into the prophecies of the dragon then, but we're getting, <laughs> a, we're kind of getting a dump now on the prophecies. Um, so um, throughout the book, you'll get sprinkled more and more of them. Um, they could probably be a whole book in themselves. Um, and they're not all actually listed out in the books, you know, but it's, um, Pits and pieces are enough to get an overall idea of the prophecies, but yeah. Um, and they mentioned also Tarman Gaiden, which is um, this is the old tongue for the last battle, yeah. And uh, the, you know, the Amerlin, she's even starting to doubt everything they're doing. She's like, you know, what if we keep chasing these guys down and we end up gentling the dragon before <laughs> we even go into the last battle and we go in there without you know the dragon reborn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where, you know, Moraine still knows a little bit more than she does. And with, with confidence talking about, uh, the other false dragons says neither of them is the one right. the pattern does not demand a dragon. And there's our little, I, uh, italicized a, um, but one true dragon. And until he proclaims himself, the pattern will continue to throw up false dragons. 
Uh, but right. after him, there will be no others. And and she goes on to tell her with confidence a little bit more about Rand and how significant he is. Yeah. And, and the fact that people have, like, like both Logan and this other guy now, uh, Taim, they mentioned him now, the guy in Saldia, Mazim Taim. Um, they said both of them have proclaimed as dragons, but more dragons are still popping up. So obviously they're not the real ones. Um, yeah. But Rand has not proclaimed himself yet. So, and yeah, and there's other reasons, like you said as well. So, sure. Why? I don't want to take us too far back, but just talking about the different cycles and talking about how the pattern demands a dragon because the pattern weaves towards Tarman Gilad. Gaiden, thank you. Like, it just brings up more and more questions. And now I can understand why we have so many books to read through. But I just, I love how there's so many questions about like, what if Loghain was the one or what if this person was the one? Like, what what could they have done differently to ensure that they had the right dragon? And why is Moraine so set on Rand being the one? I mean, we know now because he tapped into, was able to handle, like, that source of power. But that source is, like, dried up and gone now, or is it? Like, the, now, mm-hmm. my mind's kind of wheeling on a million and a half questions. I was like, I want to know... Like the full on, what is the prophecy really all about? I need to know more about Rand. Like there was statements made about him. I think we're coming up on those. Um, kind of insinuate that he is more than meets the eye. So I'm ready just to to really dig into that information. Sure. So the next thing that happens is Moraine pours out her pouch contents, and it's this pieces of the seal. Um, you know, and the Amberlin um, see Suwan puts them all together um, and, and explains it makes the ancient sign of the Aes Sedai. We get a little more about that again. I think that's more of a recap, but, you know, we still see that. And we found out there's a little secret that, you know, the Amberlin seat's called the Watcher of the Seals. They have no idea where the seals have been, like, in thousands <laughs> of years. <laughs> I think that's the best part of the whole thing. It's like, yeah, we're supposed to have this very important job, but... Who the fuck cares? <laughs> but they failed. They failed at their one job. You had one job. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they don't even know where one they, is. <laughs> when they do this for the series, uh, they could just cut to Mel Brooks and Men in Tights and walk up and be like, uh, "I said, I. What are you doing up there? Uh, oh shoot! What did he say? What are you doing up there, Blinken? A Blinken, uh, yeah." Just and he's guard. up there all blind. And he's out on watch. Uh, yeah, nobody's coming. Uh, I guess nobody's coming. I guess. No. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So uh, obviously they failed their one job uh, pretty badly. Um, you know, and they also talk a little about Quindlyar, our Hearthstone, um, and just how rare it is, and how no one knows how to make it anymore. It's. It's. Um, yeah. Uh, been a lost art or lost way of you know channeling that they have forgotten a lot of lots of other things as well that have been lost over the years but that's one that's really important that just yeah, yeah they have no idea so something i totally missed last time we talked about this uh at the end of either world was that uh nothing can break it yeah yes. not even the one power the one power just makes it stronger it's just like any other dragon stone or 
they they pop up in in every fantasy novel where there is this either a black stone or normally it's black and it absorbs all power it's full mm-hmm. and yeah nothing can break it it takes very special powers to shape it and here we have it again in another book but it's broken which yeah. shows that there's a power greater than the one power to be able to right. break it mm-hmm. uh. So that that didn't click for me last time. I don't know if it did for you, but like I, I guess I glazed over that part. The fact that it is broken. <laughs> so, uh, well, it was in her putting it together and realizing what it was that made it stand out because the seal is one that shows the dragon's fang and oh, I can't think of the other the the flame of Tarvalon. Yeah, the flame of Tarvalon together, rather than being two separate entities that are against each other. It brought them together, so that's why that symbolism stood out to me. That was that's about it. Yeah. yeah, and then the very next, uh, you know, it's not even scene, still the same scene. But the next thing they talk about is Rand again. So Swan says during the welcome, oh, she um, said, "I saw the boy, you know, in the courtyard during the welcome. It is one of my talents, seeing Tavern, a rare talent these days, even more rare than Tavern." and certainly not of much use. A tall boy, a fairly handsome young man, not much different from any young man you might see in town. Rain, he blazed like the sun. I've seldom been afraid in my life, but the sight of him made me afraid right down to my toes. I wanted to cower, to howl. I could barely speak. Alagmar thought I was angry with him. I said so little. That young man... He's the one we have sought these 20 years. Question mark. He yep. should have put a question mark there. Because, <laughs> I mean, well, he says in the next paragraph that there was a hint of question, but, you know, Moraine essentially said, yeah, he is. This is the one. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite sentence of the whole chapter, Rand Althor will stand before the world as the dragon reborn. Mm-hmm. Ba-boom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Woo-hoo. So yeah. So um, HBIC. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, she asked, you know, if he could channel. Yes, he can. Um, and then, you know, they they basically says, "Are we ready to let him loose on the world? You know, do we realize what we're going to do when we do this? When we let him loose on the world, like it's a it's a because they they know Rand has Rand and all the boys have no idea about any of these prophecies. They're little farm boys from the middle of nowhere no idea any of the stuff so it this but they the swan and moraine know all the prophecies they know what's what's supposed to happen at least a general knowledge so you know they're terrified of having to make that decision or pull that proverbial trigger um and let Rand loose on the world i don't know i i get the feeling that there's there's more to their plan that they've done or they've taken part of maybe even acting as dark friends themselves uh, or, or maybe they know what are the eyes that I that have infiltrated, um, you know, the dark friends and, and using that to their advantage. I, let's not uh, the, they, they, let's be real. Moraine. Yeah. Like, because I get the feeling that in the more you read this chapter, uh, there's nothing Moraine wouldn't do 
to help encourage the uh, prophecies to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So she thinks there's a step that needs to happen, even if it involves, you know, working with some bad folks or dark friends or utilizing them in some way to make, make her plan work out. Like I I think she would do it because she believes in it so much. Right. I love this next portion. It's talking about Rand and exactly what you're saying about her doing whatever it takes. She's like, I've purposely let him think I no longer have any interest in him, that he may go where he pleases for all of me. It was necessary, Swan. Rand Althor was raised in the two rivers where Manethrin's stubborn blood flows in every vein. And his own blood is like rock beside clay compared to Manethrin's. He must be handled gently or he will bolt in any direction but the one we want. The part that really stuck out to me, his own blood is like rock beside clay compared to Manethrin's. So she knows his origins. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's not trying to give it up at all. Like We have this general idea. But I think she has so many more specifics that she's just not willing to give up. I need her to be a friend and tell us exactly what we want to know. We need confirmation. Um, yeah, Choices. and then right, and then you know, Marine starts talking about the other two Tavir that they have, Matt and Perrin, and she tells Swan um, kind of about Shadow Logoth. Not kind of. She says we went to Shadow Logoth, and she kind of flips out about that. Says you did what? <laughs> Why would you ever take them there? You know, it's uh, that's super dangerous. Um, and it says, you know, Matt has a, a dagger, needs to be healed, and there might be enough Aes Sedai here to heal them. So, you know, hey, there's a glimmer of hope for Matt. We might, we might get Matt healed right away, right, guys? Yeah, yeah. So we haven't got to that part yet, but uh, at this point, there's a little bit of hope, right? Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah she she also just said like a couple seconds ago that the pattern's going to weave itself and you know their plans be damned it doesn't really matter anymore they're almost getting pulled along with it with everybody else (laughs) so sure yeah they have plans to heal matt yeah let's see if the pattern lets us do that right so so we have to let uh, that's another thing is that she'll get the boys to carry the the horn to to ilion and have Rand present himself you know, she's going to try to do this, you know, kind of manipulated to do this and has, and kind of gives her reasoning behind it. Um, and, but, uh, and then, you know, kind of Swan asks, do you think he will proclaim himself? And, and he says, he will proclaim himself or, or the pattern will make him. I, I'll, I'll get him to, or the pattern will. He's going to. Yeah. It, it's, she's so convinced of it at this point. Uh, apparently everything's just lining up so perfectly with the prophecies that she knows that she, she just doesn't doubt it anymore. Right. So one way or another, she either plays a role or the pattern's just going to sweep them along. Right. And then uh, at this point, Moraine says, we got to end this meeting. It's going on too long already, even though Swan wants to continue planning. She says, tomorrow morning, I'll be back. <laughs> you know, and we'll plan then, but people are going to start getting suspicious if I stay here too much longer. Um. Yeah, it, it, and at this point, we kind of come to the end. Marine leaves, puts on a fake face. Well, before face. we do that, what yeah. is a cleanse? Like, she implies that there's something beyond. She said, I will cleanse them before we leave. They will not even realize it's been done. There will be no chance they can be tracked that way. And the only other threat of that kind is locked away here in the dungeon. So she's clearly talking about Padme Fane. Right. 
So well, Fane, Fane's a hound for the Dark One. We knew that already. Right. He, he can track the three of them uh, as a hound. Um, but I guess she's no, worried. No. I guess she's worried that other people can track them. That's why they burn the clothes. I mean, you think about like dogs or anything like that. Like if you get rid of all your clothes and have new clothes or whatever, and I guess the cleanse is changing yeah. the scent. You know, like that way. If you know, you try to. You know, I'm thinking about like bloodhounds and things like that. You know, to try to get. Gotcha. I kind of had that same thought, but I was like, "Is there? It, what did? I, maybe she thought there was a spell put on them prior to. I was just like, my huh. mind kind of went spinning on that. Like, when when would that have happened? If it did right. happen, but yeah, maybe she's just taking super precautions. True. So. Maybe. Possibly. <laughs> yeah, and then like I said, he she leaves the leaves the ambulance seat and puts on this fake face to seem like she was punished in front of Leandrin. Uh, so before we move on to this next point of view. Let's go back and talk about anything we might have missed from all of this crazy dump of lots and lots of information. Well, I was just going to say probably a lot. I mean, there's so much packed in here. Well, I mean, we, we went through the gist of the storyline, but I don't know. Like, I, I'm even starting to get – I've even suggested it. Like, maybe they're involved with the Dark Friends somehow, but, like, I don't want to jump too far ahead but even what's going to go on in the next chapter, like I, I don't, I don't believe in coincidences too much. And there's too much that happens that seems to be controlled by the dark friends, but also helps push our story along. And I don't, I just wouldn't be surprised again, if, if Moraine is intentionally not saying she is a dark friend, but involved in some of their happenings and some of the things they're, trying to make happen because she thinks it's also for her own good or for the good of the prophecies, I should say. Well, that was the statement I was going to make. She says, besides my dearest friend, I cannot tell you everything and I cannot risk letting you know I'm holding anything back. Yeah. So there's, there's just... definitely that another level of just stuff going on that nobody really is aware of. Yeah. And to think we still are only halfway through this chapter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to the next part of the chapter. Um, if you guys are ready, we'll move on to the White Cloaks. Yes. So now we switch characters completely and, and places completely. We're no longer in Shinar. We're not even close. We're actually in Terabon, which is literally the other side of the entire map. Um, if you look at the map, Terabon's all the way on the lower left side where Shinar's on the upper right. I mean, as far away as you could possibly get. <laughs> and, uh, back to uh, a good old Jeffrey Bornhold. And, uh, you know, you guys remember him? Which white cloak he was? I don't. I know his name came up, but I couldn't quite remember. He wasn't the really righteous one. So that, that, was, that, was, that was Bayer. That was the righteous one. But uh, Bornhold was the more grandfatherly commander guy that was playing the good Yeah, cop. that's what I meant. <laughs> The yeah. one that was, yeah, the the one that was in charge with, of with everything, Perrin, they, with Perrin and Gwen, right? Yeah, yeah, with Perrin and Gwen, and then his son Dane Bornhold, which is what got, we met him in Berlin during that whole entire Berlin during that whole entire scene where he tries mm-hmm. to keep them from leaving. Um, so they mentioned Dane again in this this part, but uh, uh, that's Jeffrey Bornhold's son. So we talked about that last book a little bit. I just want to kind of refresh you guys because I we're going such a slow pace. If you're reading faster, you might you know remember these things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, J- just so you know, um, every time you mention a new uh, White Cloak name here, I won't repeat it because after these first two pages, I underlined every name, and then next to it, I wrote Boars? Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> Is that Boars? Is that Boars? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, that's where you guys have to kind of start guessing on who Boars might be. <laughs> the one who calls himself Boars. One um, with a move and a Terabon. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm assuming it's one of someone they meet there, but um, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So, um, Jeffrey, uh, Bordhold, you know, he's has 2000 white cloaks and they're, they're marching, uh, towards Terabon to meet someone, this little village in the middle of nowhere. And they have no idea who they're meeting. And they flash back to, uh, his meeting with Pedro Nile. Uh, Pedro Nile is the Lord commander, Captain Lord commander of the white cloaks. He's the head. Like if there was a king of the white cloaks, she's the king of the white cloaks that called that. He's kind of like the head general. He runs it all. Uh, very, very elderly guy. And it kind of goes back to that whole entire scene with them meeting. Um, and, you know, Jeffrey's obviously really upset that he got called away from Camelot. He said he had important things to do there. And he left uh, Eamon Valda in charge. But he's pretty sure that Eamon Valda will just run off and chase after Elaine and try to go take over Tarbalon himself. Uh, you know, and his mm-hmm. son's with him too. So he's kind of nervous about all that. Obviously, you know, as a father, he doesn't want... Uh, his son to and and Pedro not cuts him off since you know Valda's a good guy he walks in the light I'm not worried about him but let's talk about you um you know your orders are to march to Terabon um and and when you get there you're gonna meet someone and they'll give you the rest of the orders and he's like with 2,000 troops that's that's a lot of people are we going to war is that what's going on like in he's you know Pedro Nala refuses to answer any of his questions really just, just follow orders pretty much You'll get told when you get there. Um, and let's talk about that before we move forward back to the regular time. because it's kind of like a flashback. But. Yeah, you can tell by the, the, the italics that this is inner monologue. And that there are a frame of thoughts that uh, Jeffrey is going through. You know, of course, the part about his son, which, yeah, whatever. But then you get to the whole idea. It's like, is it war, my lord, Captain Commander? There is talk of the streets, wild rumors, mainly about Arthur Hawking's army coming back. The old man didn't speak. He said, the king. And then the commander comes back, does not command the children. So, I mean, this is the most important part. Is like this, this concept of this army that's come back. Like, how old or how far back in time is Hawking's again? A thousand years, at least. Um, yeah. yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah, it's at least a thousand years ago. Um, so I think so. Three thousand years is the breaking. Two thousand years ago is the Trolloc Wars, and a thousand years is is Otter Hawk. It's a thousand years increments. So I think uh, Trolloc Wars was when Menethrin died. That was two thousand years ago. So this is a thousand years ago. So it's been a thousand years. <laughs> so it's like, why is this really that big of a concern? That's kind yeah. of my thought. It's like I really got lost switching into this character. I'm like, eh, this is yeah. all very interesting, but somewhat confusing as to why we're switching the entire, like everything completely. We're moving away from the storyline entirely, sure. is what it feels like. Yeah. So this is something that Jordan starts to do in this book, especially. So the first book's pretty much all ran. You know, we'll have a couple chapters of different characters, but as we move on, 
this is going to happen a lot. So we're going to have multiple storylines all happening at the same time and completely different characters. And rather than doing completely whole chapters, he'll just switch and give a snippet. Like, so you might have like four point of views in one chapter. Uh, so it, it, it gets confusing a little bit, but I think they actually break it up with like a little line or whatever, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Rather than having one and a half line, they get two. Yeah. So, <laughs> So you'll see that, and it does happen, and and you know, and and the storylines do, you know, tend to run together, break apart again, run together. So, they're, but they're all happen at the same time, and and I get it because like you can't make this a whole chapter, this little part right here. So you have to put it somewhere. Uh, you know, it's it's only a few words, so um, it yeah. works. Yeah. So just let you know, it will happen again and again throughout this book and throughout the rest of the series. So as he gets bored with one character, he just switches to the next. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and some storylines you'll love, and some storylines you'll be like, "Oh, I guess again." Like, <laughs> 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 so uh, that will happen too. Um, but at the end, it, it at the end it makes a whole lot more sense. Um, and yeah, I can't remember how many times in the yeah, but I can get there. Um, there's one particular chapter that, that that's really, really long that they have. I don't know how many point of views. <laughs> it's like it's like 100 point of views. It's insane. But um, um, so uh, where were we? He's now headed out. Yeah. So and, and he, he finally meets the, uh, the guy he's supposed to meet. So he's back on his horse. Um, he begins uh, – you know, and also you get, you get a little peek into Jeff from the way he thinks here because he has a couple of little inner inner monologues at this point, just about you know he's not quick as quick to judge as other white folks are, where everyone's a dark friend. You know he wants to he's he's definitely a guy that wants to seek truth first, and you saw that with Egwene and Perrin, whereas Bayard just wanted to kill them. Um, yeah, and he he kind of wanted to dig out more, and I think he actually believed that they were just there at the wrong time, even. Parrot and, and Gwen, but it, but he knew that they were lying at the same time too, um, right? So he's he's not as 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 a zealot as some of these people are, where they just yeah. So anyway, I just, I oh, thought yeah. I I found it interesting his thought process. So maybe he's not Boars, but he still <laughs> could be. <laughs> he still could be, be Boars. Um, it, yeah, so I just like the fact that they're headed towards the questioners. Yeah. And so that really gives you a true framework for him or it kind of rounds him off because like he has true ideologies, like you said, where he wants to believe that people should be given a chance to explain themselves and to be judged properly. But then he has this real disdain for the questioners because he knows that they're pretty much the kill first and ask questions later type of people. Right. Exactly. And they get into that, you know, after that. But you can also see his disdain for the questioners. Like, he's very, at least in his thought process, very openly does not like questioners at all. Um, the way he just thinks about them as he comes up, you know, they're, they're pincers and how, and how they go about everything. It just forced <laughs> them. Um, you know, things like that. They're basically they're basically the torturers for for the white clicks. That's what the questioners are. But yeah, I mean, I like the way they introduce themselves. The hand of the light, the hand that dug out truth. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and that's what they... Those words dug out truth. It's not like they coax out or they bring out. They're just going ahead and implying they're going to get it one way or the other. They got to dig all the way in and pull it out. They will know the truth. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I did mention that they call themselves the handle light. They actually don't like the term uh, questioners, which similar to uh, the white cloaks call themselves Children of the light, they don't like the term white cloaks. Those are kind of the derogatory terms for them. But. <laughs> yeah, but then in their exchange, Bornhold addresses him as questioner. Mm-hmm. What yeah, I doubt exactly. is why Urban with 2,000 men questioner. So it's clearly a little slight, a little jab there. Yeah. And then, you know, the question is like, we'll talk later. I'm in charge now. Um, he says, go to the village across the, the bridge. And Bornhold's like, well, we weren't supposed to be seen. Like, we can't go into the village. And uh, and uh, Sarin, I think is his name. Uh, uh, yeah, Sarin, uh, he, he turns and says, the village has been pacified. Um, and and that's something that really gets under Bornholt's skin. Like, so you've killed all the villagers. Great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, he said, I'm sure, you know, you guys are dumb enough. Like, I, think, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's something like, you know, and you're dumb enough to float the bodies down the river. Yeah, so, so, so everybody else can see what you did. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, you know, and, and Bornhold kind of stops and demands, like, I want to know why I'm here. You know, tell me why I'm here. He says, well, of course, to bring people into the light. And Bornhold's like, bullshit. We don't bring a whole entire legion of troops to, to round up a few dark friends. Like, look, why are we here? Um, and then you finally get to the crux of it. Strangers that have landed on Tarman Head. Um, you know, with strange beasts and apparently Aes Sedai's that, you know, that, that, that attack people and, and they're probably all dark friends. And, um, and Bornholz says, so Arthur Hawkwing's uh, armies have returned. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> Billy cuts them off and goes, no, I didn't say you know, strangers. Strangers. He said, strangers and probably dark friends from wherever they came. That is all we know. That is all you need to know. They do not concern you now. We are not wasting time. Move your men across the river. I will give you your orders in the village. So he pretty much told um, Born Hall, you have no control of your own people anymore. Do as I tell you what to do, and we'll call it a day. Yep. Yeah, and then, you know, the last thought of Born Hall as this closest scene is, you know, we're stones on a board, but who's moving us and why? Um, so thoughts about this whole entire white click scene i mean this uh this is another one of those little gems i mean it's a lot it's not long but there's a lot in here <laughs> well it's another example we've talked about this before where um things probably could have been handled better with better communication like if you're the lord captain commander whatever the head honcho of the white cloaks uh, and you know this guy you're sending along to do your bidding is one of the good ones. He seems to have faith in him. Why not just communicate everything to him? Why say you don't know everything? Just do as you're told. Like I don't know. I feel like Bornhold can do a lot more for this group um, for their true mission if they filled him in on some stuff. Uh, and even he's frustrated with that because he's like, "Well, I'm just getting getting pushed around like a stone on a board." Like. Oh, yeah. I feel his frustration. Yeah, <laughs> and, he, and he's high ranked. I mean, Bornhold's not not some some low ranked officer. He's a he's a 
extremely high ranked commander of Light Cloak. So it's 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 probably very frustrating for him. Well, he said it. He says we're stones on a board, but who is moving us and why? Right. Yeah. Like he's implying. I don't know if we should call it Chester Checkers, but. All right. So now we're switching gears again. Uh, we go to Leandrin's point of view. So we're getting to another Aes Sedai's point of view. But she's she's special. Um, <laughs> she's a bitch. She, she's the dark one. <laughs> you know what? I had that exact same thought, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. She's that bad. Might as well be. Might as well be. <laughs> I know, but like, I think the Reds are trying to take over in general because they got such a bad rap that they're going to do anything they can do, good or bad. Yeah. yeah, but they just want power for the sake of wanting power. Yeah. They, they don't want to do anything but hate on other folks. Where does that yeah. get you? Nowhere. Exactly. <laughs> so it starts with her kind of walking through. She feels something like watching in the dark, something strange. She kind of just passes it, just kind of... It's the urchin. What did you say? I said it's the urchin. <laughs> It's the urchin, yeah, the urchin, <laughs> the dark urchin that's uh, from a Chapelson that's watching her from the shadows. Um, and she but it's just, interesting. That it's described. It sounds the same as what Rand was feeling as he was walking mm-hmm. around. It does. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, it does. It is. It's more death. The yeah, darkness yeah. is seeping up from Padden Fane, and it's okay. watching the city. It is follow. It is in the shadows, looking to make its way. I think it probably. Wait, I'm not going to go that far. Continue. Okay. Yeah. So she makes her way to Lady Amelisa's. Sorry, I can't talk tonight. Lady Amelisa's apartment. Um, and, and she just walks right in. Um, so, like, you know, Lady Amelisa is, is like the second, uh, you know, next to Lord Algamar. He's actually Lord Algamar's sister. She's the highest noble woman. She's the head of the keep or whatever. So, yeah, so everybody normally tiptoes around her. Mm-hmm. And, and Leandrin um, doesn't care. Just walks right in. No. <laughs> um, and immediately, Leandrin's upset about the book they're reading. They're reading this little, you know, I'll call it like trashy romance. I mean, they, they explain it. Like, you know, it was Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, Fifty Shades of Asada. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much uh, it's what they're reading. And, and Leandrin just kind of, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Really upset about it. Such so as heard of this book before, but never read that kind of trash. Apparently, um, a prude, very prudish. Yeah, uh, and she clears the room, tells her she needs to speak to the lady alone, and gets everybody out. Um, and Lady Amis is actually offended by all this. Um, you know, she's she stands up. I mean, she's the lady, so she stands right up to the eyes to die, and you know, says you know that she is offended, and you can't come in here like this and do this kind of stuff. And uh, Leandra just <laughs> snatches the book out of her hand and throws it in the fire. And then, and then starts doing ice and ice stuff. Well, she's like, this is an insult. I am Shinarin of the noble house and the blood of soldiers. My line has fought the shadows since before there was a Shinar. 3,000 years without fail for a day's weakness. And then it's like, huh, really? I'm going to stride across the room. I'm going to take your book. And now it's in the fireplace. That really sucks. <laughs> this flames leaped as if it were a log of fat wood thundering as they thick up the chimney. In the same instance, every lamp in the room flared, hissing so fiercely they did burn, flooding the chamber with lights. 
That's badass. Like, I want those powers so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the tank for power. Yeah. <laughs> giddy, giddy. Yeah. Well, she, she's definitely doing everything she can to make a really big show. Uh, yes. You know, they, she talks about how this was part of a, uh, or one thing she did was a special trick from childhood and mm-hmm. got into it, how she can't truly compel. Right. But she can do all of these things to very strongly influence. So she can't force somebody to think a certain way or to do something, but she can right. come daggone near close to it. So it's all uh, a bunch of showmanship. You know, the focus was the book getting tossed, right? But as it goes in there and catches in flames, all the flames and all the um, torches in the room like swell and grow. And, you know, it's this big yeah. ooh ah moment like, I'm this great Aes Sedai, bow down to me. Right. And Landry then kind of throws more of these things to try to shape her as well, besides the trick that she's using, but says, you know, you need to be careful here. You know, there's dark friends and things like that, Walk Monk and Shinar. And, um, and, you know, I think, you know, that Lady Emilisa says something along the line of, you know, don't you just hunt men that can channel? He goes, no, we hunt all men that are corrupt, corrupted. Yeah. Across the board. Um, and. Yeah, immediately Annalisa thinks that she's talking about um, our, our buddy algorithm. Um, yeah. you know, no, not him, you know, and starts freaking out, you know, that, that you can't do it. And she's like, well, you know, if, if you help me, I'll help you, and we won't have to make certain things happen to, you know, your family. <clears throat> Definitely, I wouldn't I would even say veiled threats, open threats. <laughs> um, and then she does her little trick after that, um, where she – like I said, it's almost like a Jedi, Jedi mind trick. Like, doesn't work on everybody. It doesn't. It's not. I, I, I wrote down Jedi mind trick. You know, it's like, <laughs> right? Not quite. You know, like so that doesn't work all the time. Um, if you're if you're smart enough, you can figure it out. But it's pretty convincing. Yeah, it's a good comparison. Yeah. It, it feels. I don't know. Jedi mind trick still seems a little bit more, more compelling. More, sure. Yeah. Hers, hers is just really. I don't know. There's a physical part to it, but you know, with with the the showmanship and everything, and then like physically, what she can do to them to cause pain. Um, right. But also with the eye side eye tongue and just being able to quickly convince them that there's no other choice but to choose to do what she says. Mm-hmm. So, and then after she has her kind of, I guess her attention, you know, she changes to ask him about Moraine and Fane. Um, and then it shifts to three boys almost immediately. So in what we've read so far, has anybody told her about the three boys that were with Moraine? Um, I mean, she would have a lot of told the Amberlin about before, about, about, about uh, Rand from Camelin because she came with Elaine before they left. Right. But, but I don't know about the other two. Right. That's what I was wondering. So, but, but they would have know, known that, 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 they, that they've been there, I think a couple of hours at this point, they might've been able to gather. Enough. I mean, I don't know. Maybe gathered off from. Yeah, it's true. In the, in the ladies talk. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, so the reason I asked is like, was that a sexist comment that I heard from Ian? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, like maybe she had. Just- <laughs> <laughs> now he's trying to glaze over it. Nah, don't do that. 
I, I, I missed it. What'd you say? No, you're good. <laughs> Nobody else missed it. Oh man, dang on it. all heard it. <laughs> all right. Well, I was just that, that that's a strategy. If I think I know something, but I don't know, no. Like, uh, I've totally sat my kids in different rooms and just walked in there and be like, look, I already know about the three cookies you ate, okay? But uh, tell me about X, Y, Z. And then you, like, catch them off guard, and they're like, oh, shit, he knows about the cookies. He must know everything. Like, and then they just start spilling the beans. So, um, you know, when she just hits them, like, look, I already, already know about the three three young men that Moraine came with. But, you know, who are they? Give me some more details. You know, you feed them a little bit of info of what you know and and drag out some more. Yeah. Yeah, she, she what they say, fueled the flame. Not dark friends, no worse. By far more dangerous than dark friends, my daughter. The entire world is in danger from them. They must be found. You will command your servants to search the keep and your ladies and yourself, every crack and cranny. To this, you will be, you will see personally personally and to want uh, excuse me and to no one will you speak of it save those i named none else may know none from faldara and secrecy these young men must be removed and to tarvalon taken in utter secrecy so if the ambulance seat is here who's back in tarvalon and she wants to take these people too is there like heads within each faction like a main red and a main green and a main blue and all that maybe sure sure <laughs> well that's kind of i picture how i picture it and she probably definitely want to get that back to her faction mm-hmm. but she be a hidden black asha yeah, well, that's what that's what a lady uh, Annalisa says is like, um, you know, why keep secrets? You know, you guys, are not, you know, your sisters are all here. You know why? And then that's when Leandrin says, "If you heard of the Black Aja, you know, immediately, no, 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 never heard of, the, you know, what, I would never say such a thing." And, and Leandrin turns around and says, "They're real and they're here. Um, they're among us. Uh, so that's why you have to keep it secret." And do we continue to believe what we've been told about I said I that they don't lie? I mean, the truth may not be exactly what they're saying. They might be twisting it a little bit, but they don't exactly tell lies. But she flat out says they're real and they're here. So is that her telling on herself that she is a black Asha? Or does she know confidently that maybe Moraine is dabbling in that? Or who? I don't know. Hmm. But right. if we if we believe that they can't lie, that's a pretty direct statement. Like, yeah, they're real and they're they're here. Okay. So yeah, so you know, tells about the Black Asha to to uh, Lady Emily and um and then you know says you know do not fail me, uh, you know bad things will happen. You you cannot fail, and says that she won't. Um, and then she leaves and feels the eyes on her again. Um, has that that weird strange feeling. Um. And then we switch again. So now we're back in the dungeon. I'll let you guys- I feel like I feel like this little section uh, should have been its own chapter called Choices because <laughs> clearly Amelisa had so many choices that she could choose from here. Um, and by that, I mean none. She was pretty much told uh, pretty solid reasons for keeping it secret what they're doing. 
Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's encouragement. Hey, these kids are really dangerous. So you got to help us. And if that's not enough, um, you and algorithm are at risk, but I'll protect you as long as you help me. So what else, what else is going to do at this point? Choices. Sure. <laughs> exactly. Anything for you, Chris, before we move on to uh, our last little scene? No, I, I'm ready. Okay, so I'll let you guys just handle this. You guys can talk because I know you guys will love this scene. <laughs> okay, I just have one note in this section. Yeah. Who? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the big question as well for everyone. <laughs> and if I have to wait six books to figure that out, oh lord, <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's so this, this is pretty awesome. Dum, dum, dum. Oh. Did you say parent? <laughs> now that I mean, where was he? It was Matt was not moving forward. I need to stay backwards. Dum, yeah. Dum, dum. It's, yeah. it's hard not to jump that chapter ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I was the E in this chapter. I was reading through and I'm like, yeah, this is interesting. Yeah, this seems to be important. But I wasn't super excited by this chapter. I was like, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of good stuff here. We're learning a lot. Okay. Some of this is redundant. I was like, I need a chapter that will bring me back to life. And then Dark Prophecy. I yeah, was yeah. like, oh, yeah. oh, oh yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think what was exciting about chapter five for me though was we were getting different perspectives so you're right like there wasn't it wasn't action-packed per se um but we did learn about different people different factions from their perspectives and because we were deprived of that so much in the last book mm-hmm. uh, I, I was i was excited to have it so sure so just just for everyone that's listening to us um uh when the podcast comes out um the last scene is when they're in the dungeon faints and they're smiling he's waiting and then the door opens and he says not who i expected um <laughs> and then he stretched with the callousness he did yeah. not feel blood raced through his veins he thought he could leap over the keep if he tried surprises for everyone hey well, come on, the night's getting old, and I want some want some sleep sometimes. Like, he gets some, like, a supercharge of power from whoever this was. So, like, as much as I want it to be parent, it, it, it probably isn't. But <laughs> sure. who gave him, like, this supercharge of power? Like, who made him feel like he was on top of the world? Have we run into anybody yet that can make people feel amazing? Yeah, with Marine. Yep. Yep. And I, I have, I have more to that theory at the end of the next chapter. But like, this is why, <laughs> this is why I kept hitting. I didn't want to go too far forward, so I probably sounded like I was babbling before. Nope. Like we're hitting. both on the same page. I'm getting mm-hmm. hints of her playing both sides in order to make all of this happen. Oh yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Big time. Yep. And then you end with, it's never over. It's never over. The battle's never, never over. over. The battle's never over. And we end the chapter. So final thoughts on this chapter before we move on to the next one. Like you Is said, it, Chris. Yeah, I think Chris already gave us kind of thoughts on this chapter. But Ian? Yeah. Is it 
is it okay for me to like think Maureen is kind of being dark friendy, but also still really like her? Does that make me a bad person? Neutrality is a good thing. Yeah. I live my life in the gray area. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I think a good writer, whenever you're writing a bad character, I mean, of course you're going to have bad characters that are pure evil. I mean, you that th- those characters are great for literary devices, but it's the gray characters that definitely are more intriguing to me, at least. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, if you want to take from other fantasy series, uh, um, uh, well, I guess he wasn't that, but ever that bad, but like, you know, whether it's Harry Potter and Snape character. Oh or, yes. That's exactly who I was thinking yeah. about. Or even, or even Jamie Lannister, where you go back, you hate him, you love him, you hate him, you love him. Like you go back and forth so many times throughout the you know books. No, I um, just kind of hated him. I kind of stuck with that. Loving Jamie. But yeah, it's, um, yeah. I like but, Jamie more in the book than I did in the show, but we sure. can continue. But but definitely Snape is one of those. Um, um, yeah, from, from Harry Potter. Oh, that's one. a good example. One of those characters that that's kind of grayish, <laughs> uh, but good intentions at the end, right? Um, yep, always. All right, moving on to chapter six, dark prophecy, and her icon is the classic great icon, the Trolloc icon, um, which always means it's going to be fun. <laughs> that's like yeah reading these books whenever i see that icon it's always been i'm kind of exciting excited yeah so so my yeah my first thought um i'm like all right we're getting back into some trollic action uh and pretty quickly when you think about it from the end of either world where Rand thought uh you know he had defeated the dark one or Beazelmon or whatever he wanted to call him and apparently was wrong. Um, what, what are we, we're like a month later. Yeah. And the Trollocs are going to show up. All right. Where are all of our main characters? Well, they're still in fall Dara. Uh, and if they pop up anywhere further South than this, like if we float to our story with the white cloaks or anything like that, uh, it's still pretty alarming to have Trolloc action at this point. So I was ready for uh, for Jordan to hit the gas pedal on us. As soon as I saw this, I just thought, yes, finally, action, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we had a Did role do- reversal, Ian and I. I was like, uh, I don't care about the Trolloc symbol. Like, you know what it's all about already? Dark prophecy, <laughs> let's go. I want to hear about the dark prophecy. Yeah. Like, let's know yeah. what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so we start this in a train sequence. So uh <laughs> once again, I'll things are a little you, weird. Like after listening or after reading the last chapter, I thought maybe Rand had finally gotten away at first. Yeah. Like, cause he played it really well. It's like, ah, this doesn't necessarily have to be a dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, you know it, he. There was no italics to begin with. There was no like crazy staircase. There was no trippy. Any. It was just like, huh, this trolley right. is is around the farmhouse. Maybe, maybe Rand decided to go back home after all, or maybe Matt and Perrin are back home. Or mm-hmm. yeah, that was the original thought. Yeah, it lived. Yeah, they're in in the farmhouse, and he sees. Sh- uh, Trollocs outside. They're trying to get in. They're banging at the door. They're just the door's giving a little bit. 
Um, you know, uh, and he realizes there's only one door. He's trying to find another way out, but there's just that one door and there's windows everywhere. But uh, he's wondering why they're not coming through the windows. You know, why, why they keep on trying the door. And then also Matt's there, um, you know, and, and Bare- barely. Yeah. He has a dagger. He has a dagger in his chest. He's pale and he's, uh, he's just, yeah, he's like, um, I think what, what he says, he's, Matt says it's too late. Um, it's too late. Don't you understand? He yeah. grinned. Look, his grin looked odd on a bloodless pale face, and the hilt of a dagger stood out of his chest. The ruby that capped it blazed as if it held fire. The gem had more life than his face. It is too mm-hmm. late for us to change anything. Right. And then he turns to see his parent, and parents saying, It's over. Um, he's, he's glad it's over. You know, I think he's talking about the. I mean, I, I got the impression it's He's like, I've finally gotten rid of them. I got finally got rid of them. Laughing, yeah. Blood streaming down his face like a flood of tears from his empty eye sockets, or his empty sockets, excuse me. He held mm-hmm. out red hands, trying to make Fran take a look at what he held. I'm free now. It's over. That was a very, a very event horizon moment, like holding his own eyeballs in his hands. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. God, it's never over, Althor, Patton Fane cried, capering in the middle of the floor. The battle's never done. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the good, good, I, I, I forgot about that reference. It's a great reference, the Bit Horizon one, where the guy rips out his own eyes. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I forget what he says in Latin or whatever, but. He says something yeah, Latin. Was, I think it's like where we are, you don't need eyes or something like that, or something like something. Super something creepy. Little, something creepy, yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a very creepy movie if you guys have never seen Event Horizon. Um it, it's a sci-fi horror. Um I'm that, very picky about scary movies because most of the time they're just dumb and they try to be jumpy to scare you, but this one was actually pretty trippy. Like I almost put it yeah. up there with the original Exorcist. It's it's pretty creepy. Yeah. The pr- the premise of the story is that there's a ship called the Event Horizon that goes missing. And there was an ex- experimental ship that was supposed to jump fast and light through, like going through wormholes. But apparently yeah. when you go through a wormhole, you actually go through hell. So the whole crew, they show up, the crew's all dead or missing, just not even there anymore. But they go back and see the videotapes and the whole ship's basically haunted by, by hell itself. It's really trippy. Yeah. It's really scary and trippy and fun. Uh, but yeah, so... Fun but yeah. Chris does not do horror films. Yeah. <laughs> there's, um, there's one scene of it where the scientist guy that goes with him starts losing his mind also and, like, rips his own eyeballs out and is holding them, and it's really creepy. Yeah, it is. So <laughs> if you ever are so inclined to actually mix... Uh, to, to, to mix sci-fi with a, with a extreme horror. I know they've done that with aliens and a bunch of other movies, but this is kind of more, it's different. It's it, it, very well done. It's, wor- it's worth checking out if you're into that genre. Um, yeah. So, um, moving the past. Yeah. So then the door finally bust open Two Aes Sedai come in, red Aes Sedai. And Bond's with them. Um, yeah, and, and then Rand wakes up. So, very short dream se- sequence, but definitely impactful. So, any thoughts? It is never over. The battle's never done. For you, yeah. the battle is never done. Like, 
it goes back to the whole idea that we're in this just cycle, this repeating cycle. And we need some big thing to occur to just break the wheel and end the cycle. So I'm hoping Rand is the real dragon, and this time he can stop this from repeating. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mentioned my conspiracy theories with Moraine, and um, Moraine was already talking about how they needed to find a way to gently nudge Rand to, uh, you know, take the horn to Iliad and, and go do what it is they, they want them to do. Mm-hmm. And then he's also getting this nudge through this dream sequence from air quotes now, Beazelman. Um, just letting him know, like, you can't, you can't run from this. I mean, you, right. you can try and leave and, and go home. You can try and leave and go in the middle of the woods. It doesn't matter. Our battle is going to continue. Mm-hmm. So from, from the, the dark perspective, there's encouragement also for Rand to continue on with this quest, if you will. Sure. So yeah, Rand wakes up. He's in the woman's apartments. Uh, Nynaeve's there, and she's just rocking in a chair, knitting, um, kind of hanging out. <laughs> and you get this description of the room. Uh, I think you get Rand's a little bit jealous about how how nice yeah, the, the the woman's here had two tapestries, mountain scenes with waterfalls and flowers embroidered curtains along the arrow slits. Cut flowers, white morning stars stood in a flat round base on the table by the bed, and more knotted and glazed white stones on the wall. A tall mirror stood in a corner, another hung over the washstand with its blue striped pitcher and bowl. He wondered why Egwene needed two mirrors. There was none in his room, and he did not miss it. He said yeah. in Shinar, men's rooms were always bare and stark. That's kind of... You know, I guess they take the gender stereotypes very far. Well, let, let's 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 break it down to modern day society. I mean, I've worked in restaurants before, and when I work in restaurants, you have to go clean the women's room versus the men's room. Um, yeah, <laughs> oh, when, yeah. I, when I found Dude, out different couches, <laughs> yeah, 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 couches <laughs> inside the women's bathroom, and like everything's like pristine, the better lighting, it just everything looks better. You go to the men's room, there's still like pee in the corner. Um, there's stuff <laughs> written on all the walls everywhere for a fun time. Call this number. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you try not to touch anything. <laughs> if I gotta go to the bathroom, seriously, I'm going to the women's bathroom. <laughs> yeah, bathroom is like so much better than a men's bathroom. Just like this, this is so much better. There's so much cool stuff in there. You guys have couches. Um, I've never seen a couch in a men's bathroom. Let me just put it that hey, way. But at least, at least uh, most men that have used restrooms at a bar at 2 a.m., like right around closing time, we were better prepared for COVID because I've learned <laughs> to enter a room, go to the bathroom, use the facilities, do everything, and touch nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you don't talk to anybody. It's it's very, it's, yeah, there's no a lot of talk, there's no conversation. You uh, we can get to alter bathroom sociology experiments that have been done yeah. and uh, maybe for a different podcast, we'll actually talk all about that because it really fascinates me, but like there's a whole entire unwritten code. But yeah, anyway, it's really, it's fascinating actually to study. Um, bathroom code. The, the um, every so, other urinal. 
Yeah. Make, we can make the bathroom podcast. I think someone just said chat. Like, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> we call it, we'll call it everyone poops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so, like I said, after the description of the room, uh, yeah, Rand starts to try to explain himself, um, you know, on why he's there. And he's like, yeah, yeah I know why you're here. Great. Told me um, it's, it's fine. We're on your side. Stop. <laughs> um, and, and, Rain's like, well, speaking of Gwen, where is she? It says, well, Gwen went to go see Fane again. Um, you know, which then obviously Rand's kind of upset about why he's doing that. She wants to help him. Um, yeah. I well, love my favorite part of this, the light helped me, Rand. You're becoming more shinier and every day invited into the woman's apartment. Indeed, she sniffed. Any day now, you'll start talking about your honor and asking peace to favor your sword. Yeah. Like, I just got a good chuckle out of that. I was like, she is so not having it. She is not at all enthused. She is ready for this shit to be over with. And yeah, then we I, get to where going. I Go do ahead. also so, like, I, th- I think it's important to note that, um, we, you know, we talked before the importance of all the different people in the group as, as they go along in this quest. I'll call it that. Um, and what, what's, what's Nynaeve's role at this point? Well, I started reading this and with her nonchalantness and keeping her braids and her hair and everything. And I'm like, man, when is, when is she going to get it? That it's like things that are going on are way more important than their life in Ed, Edmonds field. But also it was refreshing because Rand needs, Rand needs to be reminded, you know, where he comes from and, and Nynaeve continues to do that. So she's kind of helped keep him grounded along the way. So I know that wasn't probably the point of these paragraphs that Jordan wrote, but I definitely got that sense that she, she was helping to remind him and, and give him thoughts of home and remind him who he is. Uh, even that snarky sarcasm that you just read. And I highlighted the same thing and just wrote haha next to it. Cause she was giving him a hard time, but uh, in a way it was sarcastically reminding him like, Hey, look, it's no big deal that you're hanging out around other women. Like, we did that back in Ed, Edmonds Field. It's it's not not that big a deal, you know. Remember mm-hmm. where I'm from, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And then you know, at this point, Rand asks, you know, are they looking for him yet? Um, and Nanif doesn't answer the question at first, and she says, "Well, you know, actually, when I went out, all the maids and everything were acting really strange. They were they they weren't getting ready for the feast like they should have been, and you know, all the servants and maids are just." They're searching there. I even saw Lady and Beast come out of a storeroom. Um, you know, obviously, so they might be looking for you. Rand's like, no, no, the maids aren't looking for me. It's the Aes Sedai. Like, the Aes Sedai, they send soldiers. It's in men. You know, they, they wouldn't have the servants look for me. It can't be that. Um, which goes back to last chapter, what uh, Leandrin made uh, Lady and Beast, you know, and all her servants, you know, part of that compulsion was to get all the people right. to search for them. Right, right. That's ridiculous. Why would she be part of a search? Or any of the women, yeah. for that matter? Yeah. <laughs> I love the exchange here. She's like, you are as wool-headed sometimes. Or you are wool-headed sometimes, Rand. The men I saw don't know what the women are doing either. I heard some of them complaining about having to do all the work by themselves. I know it makes no sense that they were looking for you. None of the Aes Sedai seem to be taking any interest. But Amelisa, 
was not readying herself for the feast by dirtying her dress in the storeroom. They were looking for something, something important. Even if she began right after I saw her, she would barely have time to bath and change. Speaking mm-hmm. of which, if Egwene doesn't come back soon, she won't have the chance to do so either. So really, she broke down the expectations of a woman getting ready for a party. And she's like, this is highly suspicious. And you as a man would think nothing of it. So who better to search for you than people that you really don't think about and don't pay attention to? Mm-hmm. Bam. Yeah. And then we get the next point in this. Yeah. Which is him saying, you know, I'm on my way out the door. I'll be gone as soon as I can. Yeah. Um, the gates can't be barred forever when they're not on the run. Yep. And then it's like, I don't believe, I don't think she believes the will is finished with you speaking in regards to Nynaeve. The dark one seems, and then Rand's like, Shaitan is dead. And the whole like, room lurches. Shit goes down. It's like a whole room seems to lurch. He grabbed his head as waves of dizziness slosh through him. You fool, you pure, blind, idiotic fool. Naming the dark one, bringing his attention down on you. Don't you have enough trouble? Like, here's the wisdom that I love. Yeah. <laughs> And, and Rand, she's like, Rand's still convinced. Yeah, and Rand's still convinced he killed him. And like, there's like, obviously you did it. Like, <laughs> yeah, not, not the way you think, at least. This this was definitely a uh, Frodo uh, putting on the ring moment. You know, it's like I'll just real quick use this. I'll just slide his name out there, and then bam, he sees him. He whops him upside the head. Like, got gotcha you mm-hmm. now. Yeah, the the eye of Sar- was it Sauron or whatever turns and yeah. Looks. That's crazy. Yeah, anyway, yeah. So as- he's in denial. He's just like strange things happen this close to the blight, and she's like, "You are a fool, right?" <laughs> and then right as she's saying this and kind of cussing him down or, or stripping him down, and, you know, um, yelling at him, the bells start ringing everywhere. Like start, bells start crashing everywhere. That's definitely an alarm going off. Um, and Rand immediately thinks like, "Oh, maybe they're calling to search for me." And it must again, I was like, "No, they would." They already they warn you. Like <laughs> it has to be something else. Uh, so Rand goes to the air slit to kind of look out. Sees much commotion out there, but can't really make out what's going on. I mean, I can just kind of picture this. If you've ever been in an old castle, I mean, I, I I've traveled to Europe and been to some of these old castles, and you look through these air slits, they you can't see much out of them. Um, you get just your field of view there. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to see around corners or anything just right there in front of you. So it's hard to get a yeah. good visual of what's going on everywhere. Yeah. It's also hard to get hit. True. Exactly. So, so yeah. Uh, um, and then all of a sudden, Rand thinks of Egwene. And immediately grabs his sword, starts running. Egwene. If, if something's going down, Egwene's in the dungeon. Like, I got to get down there to her. And Neve tries to stop him kind of unsuccessfully, and he just barges out into the women's apartments, and women start screaming everywhere because <laughs> there's a man with a sword <laughs> running through the women's apartments, which is... Uh, that's what they call it those days? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you seen my sword? as large as mine. The pin is mightier. <laughs> uh. <laughs> 
to the sword. Um, and hey, so I, I want to revive a, an old prediction. I know I got the the book and chapter wrong because I called it pretty early. But um, boy, if he doesn't let go of this Egwene stuff, he's I'm, metaphorically speaking still going to get his legs cut out from under him. Like he's yeah. And I think I think Nynaeve, the the back and forth between Rand and Nynaeve here is pretty good because Nynaeve keeps breaking down the situation even in the heat of the moment using you know, logic and trying to make sense of what's going on. And Rand is just panicky at this point and he's knee jerk reaction and, uh, you know, just running out there like a bull kind of stupidly. He's not the Rand that we started with. No, no not at all. For sure. Yeah. No, he's grown. He's grown a lot. <laughs> but didn't we, didn't we compliment him early on? Like he seems to have good instincts and yeah, but his instincts here are crap. Yeah. <laughs> he's gone too far the other way, whereas he cowered, you know, and ran away his first time. Now he's running towards battle, but, but not really bl- bl- blindly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, as he's running through, actually the Amber, the Amberlyn herself comes out and he sees her and she is terrified of him. And immediately starts cowering away, and immediately he thinks, "Oh crap, she knows. I don't have time to think about this right now. I got to continue on." Um, but crap, she knows. Like that's his first thought. Um, and you know, gets outside, and he realizes that there's battle going on. Um, you know what's crazy? Like the fact that this battle was going on, and then he rounds a corner and sees a trollic. Like at this point in time, I, I kind of felt relief for him. Because if all of this was going on and he ran out there and it wasn't that big a deal or the Trollocs weren't out there, like it would be highly suspect that he was there running around with a sword. There'd have been a lot mm-hmm. more. Clear. But like now he kind of has an excuse like, oh, yeah, uh, the, you know, Trollocs come through. I was just helping out with the fight. <laughs> yeah. He got dumb luck there like that. Yeah, a few times because uh, these three trolls come out and he immediately tries to go into the sword, sword forms and just panics and does them really sloppily and the truck dodges his, his strike and they even mentioned like Land would have been so disgusted at me right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, and got to get saved because right at the same time some Shania soldiers come around and, and kill the trucks, um, uh for him. Um and he keeps on making his way through the keep. There's death everywhere. There's dead Trollocs. There's dead soldiers. Uh, people later on everywhere. And then he comes into a, another, I guess, open maybe courtyard or, or pot, it, spot. And there's across a fade. The corridors. It was across, across the corridors. corridors. Yeah. And it's at the tail end of the fight. Six top knotted men lay bleeding and still, and a seventh was dying. The midroll gave its sword an extra twist as it pulled the blade free of the man's belly and the soldier screamed as he dropped his sword and fell. And here's Rand just face to face with the fate. Yep. And the fate turns towards Rand and smiles and just starts coming towards him. And- mm-hmm. See, and I'm, I'm getting excited here. I'm like, all right, finally, Rand can do some one-on-one, prove his worth. And then, here comes this jerk. Here comes. This this jerk <laughs> Ingtar comes to steal his glory. Like, look, Ingtar, sorry you didn't make it to the gap in time and you missed the sale on the cool jeans, but that's not our fault. You don't have to go stealing other people's glory. Go fight someone else. 
But Inktar, <laughs> not only did Inktar show up, but pretty much was like, uh, Rand, why don't you go start with a couple of Trollocs? This is a, this is a little bit above but, you. This is, this is real mid stuff right here. You know, this is big boy stuff. Don't you? Yeah, I'm, don't you I'm double work? wielding swords and you've only got one. Hello? <laughs> why don't you go do something else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. Basically, that's what Ingtar says. It's uh, you know, hey, just go to the girl, and and Rand even offers like, why don't we take them together? And it's like, nah, 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 nah. nah I got this, bro. I, got this. <laughs> I, I want all these experience points for myself. I don't want to have to share my XPs with you, bro. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and Ingtar is completely confident. Obviously, like, he's like this. This fate just taking out seven Shanarans, and Ingtar's like, nah, I got this. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Um, so Antar goes to attack and Rand runs because he thinks of Egwene again um, and he feels ashamed, but he still runs anyway towards the judge. Yep. You know what? It's hypnotic, they say. Mm-hmm. It is. They, uh, <laughs> and we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, we're not going to get the bad decisions I've made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, they get to the dungeon. So before we get to the dungeon, because this is a whole new scene, let's talk about everything that's happened so far. Uh, anything we missed, or anything you guys want to talk about? Well, I I like, or I find it curious that the fates have the effect on him that they do, where his stomach feels knotted. Like you would think by now, Rand would be somewhat over that. I yeah. mean, he did fight Biazman. Well, the, the what is it? The gaze of the eyeless is fear, or something? Is that the say that they have? Um, yeah, where was it? <laughs> but it, yeah. he is—I mean, he wasn't totally frozen. So I guess I see a little bit of growth. Uh, and I was about to make that point until you said, "But he went and fought Basilmon, and he diced up some fades when he was there to help his mom." Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, of course, according to him, uh, he was just getting pulled along by. The power, the power. Uh, right. So maybe that's part of it. But but he's still better than his first encounters with Fades, where he was just totally frozen. Right. A um, little bit of growth. But yeah, yeah if you could, if you can dice up Basilmon. Like, why is why are you even worried at this point? Right. So yeah, so we get to the dungeon door, and he notices the dungeon door is cracked open a little bit. So he kind of hesitates because it shouldn't be open; it should be barred shut. And you know he thinks about yelling in, and he's like, "Oh, that would be a really bad idea." The pool in there, he don't want to announce that I'm outside. Um, so I can just pitch this too because he's going to bust up at this door and come in ready to fight someone that's in there. Um, so that's what he does. He goes in and he rolls around. He doesn't realize the whole scene around him because he's looking for any movement, you know, and doesn't realize there's. I mean, he realizes quickly no one's in there, and then he starts to realize really the gravity of this this yeah i love it it says his eyes fell on the table and he stopped dead breath and even thought freezing on either side of the still burning lamp as if to make a centerpiece sat the heads of the guards in two pools of blood their eyes stared at him wide with fear and their mouths gaped in a last scream that no one could hear Mm. Ran gagged and doubled over. His stomach heaved again and again as he vomited into the straw. Finally, he managed to pull himself erect, scrubbing his mouth with his sleeve. His throat felt scraped raw. 
slowly he became aware of the rest of the room, only half seen and not taken in during his haste search for an attacker. Bloody lumps of flesh lay scattered through the straw. There was nothing he could recognize as human except the two heads. Some of the pieces looked chewed, so <laughs> that's what happened to the rest of their bodies. He was surprised at the calmness of his thoughts, almost as if he had achieved the void without trying. It was the shock he knew vaguely. He did not recognize either of the heads. The guards had been changed since he was there earlier. He was glad for that. Knowing who they were, even Chagu, Changu, sorry, <laughs> would have made it worse. Blood covered the walls, too, but in scrawled letters, single words, and whole sentences splashed on every which way. Some were harsh and angular in a language he did not know, though he recognized Charlotte's script, while others he could read, and he wished he could not blasphemy and obscenity bad enough to make a single hand or a merchant guard go pale. Mm. He said to Gwen, calmness vanished. Yeah. So, so a lot of people often ask or have been talking about the new TV show coming out. Will it be TVMA? And I point to scenes like this. I said, yeah, <laughs> like, like I, the world have these kind of scenes. I mean, yeah, you get like the, the, the Mashadar that crawls down the throat. was kind of creepy. That's still PG 13. This yes. like this is this is like horrific. Like if they do this on the on you know like on the TV show, it's this this yeah. <laughs> this isn't like you know your your kids type thing. <laughs> Let's see at least it's it's a little gross. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Um, so like how do you pull some blood? You need uh, but yeah. You know, you, you joked before about it being Perrin that maybe let him go or something like that. Um, but when they were talking about I mean, the, the lumps of flesh he couldn't recognize looking like they were chewed, I was like, yeah. okay, does he fully, like, wolf out? You know, <laughs> we we heard that Perrin huh. may have been down there with Matt and Egwene. Uh, and not that I think Perrin... Well, that was my thought. Like, where is Perrin? Yeah, I... I, I'm not saying I think he's the one who killed the guards or anything, uh, but maybe when this when this went down, if there were Trollocs around, maybe that's like his full moon. Like when the Trollocs come out, he just loses his shit and just starts tearing everything apart. Maybe, sure, sure. sure. <laughs> um, we're gonna find Perrin like two chapters later, just kind of like passed out from exhaustion in one of the gardens just covered in blood and blood all over him and he's like yeah I think I devoured 16 Trollocs <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so like I said most of the words he can't recognize because they are Trolloc script but he does recognize one message that's on the door um, and that's written in very neat handwriting um, and it's we'll meet again in Tommy Head it is never over Al Thor written in blood. Um, so immediately Rand jumps down or drops down, pulls up some, some straw and starts trying to scrub the message off. Cause he doesn't even want one. Well, I don't think he wants anybody else to know that he's associated with any of this. Um, you know, I, I think there's multiple motivations there too. I think he's disgusted that they would do this, but this name, like I, I think there's a lot of stuff going on here. 
And, and there's but, a there's a layer of denial still. Like you would think after a whole book and now what's going on here and his dreams and everything, he would just accept what's happening, but he's still fighting it. Like he doesn't want it to be. So mm-hmm. I think there's a layer of that as well. But then suddenly there's a woman behind him saying, what are you doing? Like, why are you trying to erase some evidence? You know? So if you look like, let's say a cop showed up right as you're cleaning the scene, <laughs> it does look mm-hmm. very suspicious. Um, uh, but he realizes it's a red eye should eye. And we, we actually have met this character before. It's, it's Leandrin. We figured that out in a couple, mm-hmm. couple, couple sentences. Uh, but Ranger says, red, you know, air quotes, red Aja, also known as black Aja. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be Biazamon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be Osmond. Yeah. So, um, sure, sure. Um, so Rand says, you know, it's just filth. You know, that's all it was. I'm just scrubbing off filth. And she says, touch nothing. Yeah, don't do anything. And he's like, thinks of a Gwen again and says, I got to, you know, get into the inner dungeon part and goes to get to the door. And she immediately wraps him up in the power. And it says, mm-hmm. no, you'll answer me now. You know, who are you? What's your name? And she's actually, he feels the pain start. Like, she's trying to kill him. At this point, like he, that's what he realizes. Um, so before we start moving forward on this, um, Chris, am I the only one that was hoping that he would bust out like a one true power lightsaber and dice this woman? Up? Oh, no, that was in my mind from the very get go. I think mm-hmm. if well, we, we've got to move forward before we can make the statement. Yeah, but- yeah. Given another twenty seconds, yeah. Oh yeah, that would have happened. Here and say it because I was I was hoping for it. I was like, all right, no one else is around. It's just these two. It's a perfect opportunity for him to just dice up an eye said eye, mm-hmm. and be like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, but I love the 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 scene here. The way it was set up, so suddenly it was all he could do to stand to keep holding the lamp and his sword ice cold squeezed at him from all sides. His head felt caught in a frozen vice. He could barely breathe for the pressure on his chest. So yeah, she was definitely trying to get rid of him. She was just like, you know what? Answer me now or else you're done for. Frozen needles pierced his brain with agony, grating into his bones. The void formed inside him before he realized he had thought of it, but it could not hold out the pain. Dimly, he sensed light and warmth somewhere in the distance. It flickered queasily, but the light was warm and he was cold. Mm. So, like, he was going there. He was reaching oh, yeah. for it. He was reaching for it, yeah. Gosh, I yeah. wanted it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Oh, and then the Savior comes in. Yeah. She was already there. She was just waiting for some, for a reason to pop up. <laughs> At this point, decisions and choices, they don't exist. Nope. Yeah. We learned that in book one. Yeah. So Moraine does come in and saves the day. Leandrin stops, uh, which comes in, and they're both super suspicious of each other. It's like, why are you here? Why are you here? <laughs> like, so hmm. you have one of those uh, th- those scenes. So Leandrin, about- Leandrin almost has a better reason for being there like maybe she followed him down there right mm-hmm. but but why but why is moraine there or was she already there hiding in the dark hmm. 
maybe she was the one who let and that was gonna be my other thought when she had popped up in here i was like she was already there she needed a way of moving the horn she's gonna set the boys off on this adventure yes but she also needed ran to go a specific way and we don't know what that way actually is yep because she's hiding stuff yep and we we know Leandrin's oh. motives here is to find the boys, so th- that's why that's why I say pretty sure Leandrin just followed him down there, right? Yeah, Leandrin's goal is to get them to Tarvalon. That way, the Aes Sedai can make use of them whatever way they choose to. Right now, Moraine and the Amlin Seat have an entirely different thought process, whole another agenda, and only Mar- yeah, whole another agenda, and only Moraine knows the full agenda. Maybe she needs him to pair up with more death and become the dragon reborn in all of his glory so that he can fight Beazamon on even grounds. And of course that would shake and potentially rip the world, but then it would also cause a renewal of the world. Shenanigans. But then Rand still thinks about Egwene. So we don't get any more conversation between these two other than awkward stares that they don't trust each other. And then a little bit of untrusting awkward stares at Rand and then Rand's back to where's Egwene. (laughs) So we could have got more info there, maybe. But this whole Egwene business is killing us. Yep. So, yeah, exactly. So Rand, while... Moraine and Nynaeve, or not Nynaeve, Moraine and Leandrin are bickering with each other. Uh, Rand thinks of Egwene and goes into the actual, I guess, prison cell part of the dungeon. And right as he goes in, he sees some movement, and one prisoner just got done hanging himself. That's the <laughs> first thing we get there. Um, and the next prisoner um, is not any better, really. Uh, so we get this kind of really a, a different kind of grotesque scene. You know, um, they've seen some stuff. And their their minds are just twisted. This is, we've talked about this before when we were in, um, was it Shatter Logoth? Where there's, there's evil worse than just, you know, bad men trying to do bad things. There's a, a like a chaotic evil that it, it just seeks to devour and destroy. And if that's the type of evil that these two guys and their prison cells witnessed, I mean, that's enough to just make you go batshit crazy. At least that's what I'm picturing. Like, this wasn't just a little old dark, dark friend and Pat and Fane walking past them and taunting them. Like, there, there was some significantly, like, just chaotic evil that they witnessed or were influenced by that made them lose their freaking minds. Yeah. Yeah. You did a really good job with that. Mm-hmm. I, I Googled gets, it. I Googled and then, it. And then he I gets the cliff notes. Yeah. Then he gets to Fane's cell and sees outside of Fane's cell two bodies on the floor. Uh, and is really relieved to see them actually, you know, they're unconscious, they're still breathing. But, you yeah. know, Rand starts to, you know, blame himself because uh, he's the one who. Ended up- <laughs> Mentioned Shaitan and thinks that he's caused all this. Um, but, you know, and then Moraine comes in 
to kind of assess the situation as well. Yeah. So did you notice how Moraine was uh, quick to get in front of Leandrin uh, to check on Egwene? She didn't want Leandrin healing and marking. I was there with you. Yep. 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 Try to prevent that connection. Uh, But also, you know, maybe trying to prevent her from, I don't know if she even has the ability to read anything off of them. Um, Especially Matt and the dagger being able to sense um, what she might have done to Matt or sense the dagger or more death or anything like that. But yeah, the, the, the tag in her to be able to sense her in the future. Definitely caught on to that. <laughs> or at least I believe that was part yeah. of Moraine's motive. Yeah. And, and Moraine says, you know, Gwen will be all right, but Matt, yeah, might not be. Yeah, uh, the dagger is gone. Mm-hmm. The dagger's gone. Um, so Moraine heals Gwen pretty much right away and says, yeah, she'll be fine. She's in some sleep. Um, but yeah, says that. It's more over serious because the dagger's gone. Landry's like, "What's what dagger? What dagger? What are you talking about?" <laughs> Just ignores her. Um, uh, you know, and, and then Leandrin then brings up Rand was destroyed right on the wall, uh, and, and you know, Rand's kind of looking to Marie to kind of back him up here, and she just doesn't. <laughs> like she's continues yep. on. He's yep, doesn't back him up at all. He's like, "Come on, help me out. I'm not a bad guy." And Rand's like, uh-huh. "Are you?" Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Definitely interesting here. I don't know what you guys' thoughts were about all this. Part of me wishes Moraine would just be more upfront. We talk about the communication thing, but just more upfront with Rand. But of course, we wouldn't get this many books if she were. But then also, what we've learned about Rand's character, um, she I think she was right in her assessment when she was talking to the Amerlin, like, you, you gotta use soft hands with Rand, and you gotta be careful the direction you push him because he'll just go the opposite way. So, I, I'm starting to understand more why Moraine is being as manipulative as she is with Rand because otherwise, there's no way to get him to do what needs to be done. So I, I just looked at this exchange not so much that Moraine is questioning him, but she wants him to think that there's still a level of distrust there. It's it's part of her plan to move him along in the future. Yeah. I completely agree. And it was definitely one of those moments where he really reached out for the first time looking for her to back him up. And she just completely let him down because, like you said, it's part of her plan. I need to push him far enough to keep him close enough. Yep. That's exactly what she's doing. Yep. <laughs> She needs to make it uh, so it's his choice, his decision to go off without her <laughs> on this mother quest. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Ingtar comes to, now we have our, our guy Ingtar back. He's leading some soldiers in with uh, the, the uh, litters to carry out Matt and Egwene. Uh, and they're kind of cleaning up stuff, you know, taking the dead guy that hung himself off of, you know, the, 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 the cell and I guess trying to trying to not, not clean up the, the the scroll work, but just trying to clean up some of the other stuff. <laughs> um, and they take Egwene away to a room. Uh, Matt's to be sent to the Amberlin seat, and Leandrin is really upset about them, upset about her a Marine ordering Matt to be go go to the Amberlin. Um, yeah, 
Why, why did you take this village boy to the Amberlin? You you think you have the Amberlin as healer for your your pet? Are you mad? And Moraine <laughs> just replies, the Amberlin seat does not share your red Aja prejudices, Leandrin. She will heal a man without need of a special use for him. Um, <laughs> so it, very <clears throat> creative way that Moraine, you know, deflects the situation gives Leandrin shit mm-hmm. for being a man hater. Um, but then I fall back to how much of this was Moraine involved in and how much of this was part of her plan, because she did talk to the Amerlin about getting a couple of trusted Aes Sedai together to help properly heal Matt. Mm-hmm. And was this also part of that plan to force the issue? I mean, how else would she be able to get Matt in front of the Amerlin with a couple of trusted Aes Sedai, unless it was during this type of chaos? Mm-hmm. All of the great conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Oh, man. Yeah. And then Rand, but there's a lot to that. Yeah. Yeah. And the next scene, Rand asks Ingtar if he killed the Fade. Ingtar's really upset. Says, no, he got away. They all left because they got the horn. Um, so Ingtar's super upset about this. Says, you know, they were able to get into the storeroom, uh, the strong room, I guess, and steal the horn of Alir. They didn't take much else. Looks like that's what they were going after. Um, kind of explains how they got in. They got to the dog gate. And Rand's kind of like, that should be easy to defend the, the you know, it's small gate. It's it the you know bottleneck. It'd be really easy to defend. And Ingtar said, "No, um, you know, someone killed the guards from the inside. They're you know, they're, their throats they're, were cut. Their mm-hmm. throats were cut. They got bit in the neck by a rattlesnake. Yeah. <laughs> so that means there were dark friends in Faldara. Um." Which we, we I mean, knew. We keep going back to, we did know that. And again, we keep bringing it up. We have one person who's got her motives. So yep. I don't know that she goes as far as killing, but you know, you just, you never know at this point what somebody's capable of doing. Yeah. <sighs> and then Rand asks if the order still stands earlier that, you know, because he says all the, you know, he says they are all barred. The gates are barred. They just sent the order down because there might be a dark friend in the city. We're not letting anybody leave until we can investigate this. And Rand's like, well, what about the earlier order that was barred? And Inter's like, what are you talking about? There was no earlier order. You can leave whatever you want before this. <laughs> <laughs> we do have an Aes Sedai that can compel. Just going to put that out there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's where my mind went. I'm going to put the blame on her. And then, of course, we find out later that it could be Lorraine and another. But this dude, when he was, you know, looking to get out, seemed to have no idea who we should help. So, I, I think I think we'll find out. This will probably get answered sooner rather than later. But we're going on the assumption that the the Trolloc army here in the Fades—they're the ones who stole the horn. Mm-hmm. Um, but what if what if this, you know, the point was to get Pat and Fane out and Moraine, I'm going back to my conspiracy theory, used this chaos and confusion to snag the horn herself 
so that she could send the boys along like she wanted to uh, on this quest with the horn without all these other people and the rest of the Aes Sedai and everybody else knowing who has it. <laughs> okay, it's kind of tricky because part of me wants to be like, how orchestrated was this and who was it really orchestrated by? And do we have like people within the Aes Sedai that are orchestrating attacks done by these uh, these individuals, by the uh, like the Aes Sedai? So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm putting too many crazy theories out there about Moraine, but like in a way, I, like I said, I'm I'm growing to respect just, it's not just how powerful she is, but how smart she is, uh, how well-versed she is in the prophecies and her dedication to seeing them fulfilled. Um, it's her, it's her depth as a character. Yeah. And, and I, which we... I don't dislike her for it now. So I could see that happening. I could I could see her being involved in those ways and be okay with that. And so as Rand's walking out, there's two brown sisters, uh, two two brown eyes and eyes, and they're studying the wall, taking notes, which he, he just I I love that that whole entire scene. Like there's just discussing stuff everywhere and they don't even care. They're like so fascinated by research, because that's how the Browns are, um, that they just don't even see anything else around them which house did you say the browns were ravenclaw the, the yeah that's very ravenclaw of them yeah and uh it, and then ranch just left alone everyone leaves and ranch is there by himself standing like kind of trying to figure out like what to do now like he's out of the dungeon now but like everybody kind of goes their own ways and they just leave him and he's like guys what what, what what do we do next? And um, uh, Land shows up, uh, you know, and Land's like, you know, Moraine says it's, you know, um, you're free to you're free to leave. Uh, your stuff's already been moved back to your room, and he's like, wait, how did she know I was my stuff was in the Granger? He's like, yeah, she knew. <laughs> <laughs> she knows a great. She knows everything. Yeah, yeah. Come on, uh, she she knew what you were doing. Um, and he says, uh, you know, uh, you know, are the I said I mad at me is the one thing he says, like, are in all the women in Faldara mad at me for running to the ones. I was like, actually, they're more, they're more fascinated with you than mad. Um, this, this man that walked through, you know, like they're actually, they all think you're a lord in disguise. And if you're not, if you're not careful, they're going to marry you off. <laughs> <laughs> it actually makes land laugh at them. Like he's, it's the way they're talking amongst themselves, they're trying to decide whose daughter is strong enough to handle you. Because <laughs> yeah. if you don't watch your your step, Shepherd, uh, you will find yourself married into a Shannara house before you realize what happened. So then he bursts out laughing. <laughs> it looked odd, like a rock laughing. Because <laughs> land, right. yeah, I mean, imagine like Land's the guy that never would laugh at anything, and Land just busts up laughing. That's like the second bit of emotion we've seen from him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he thinks it's hilarious. but It says, whatever wife they choose for you, so you probably have to, or have your head of your own house in 10 years, and have you thinking that you've done it yourself besides. Uh, it is too bad you have to leave. 
So now he's kind of bringing it around full circle to, I told you to go. Now you're ready to go, and you're on your way out the door. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, man, you got to leave now? <laughs> yep. Yeah, and, you know, Lance says that Rand's exempt from the order, uh, that he can leave whenever he wants, that Algamar did borrow the gates except for him. He's allowed to leave. And Rand's super confused at this point. It's like, why would he keep me, you know, before? It was an order from Algamar before saying that I couldn't leave, but now Algamar says I'm exempt. Like, I'm so confused right now. And Lance's like, uh, I think what's his quote? He says, um, you can leave it, or I can't remember what he says, uh, but there's a quote. He says, why now and not earlier? Why couldn't I leave before? Was she the one who had the gates barred then? Inktar said he knew nothing about any order to keep people in before tonight. <laughs> and then uh, Land says, when someone gives you a horse, sheep herder, don't complain that it isn't as fast as you'd like. Right. So he's, he's got his way out, well, so... Mm-hmm. Why are you? Why I like are you that statement before, though. It says Rand thought the water looked troubled. Mm. So Rand had, in my opinion, Land had no idea this was going on. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, he says you can leave today or a month. It doesn't matter. You can leave whenever you want. So then Land walks away and ends the chapter with us just Rand back by himself, just standing there trying to think of what to do next. Um, so Rand's stuck with a tough decision here. So let's talk about that for a second. You know, like he can leave. He wants to leave. He wants to run away. But now Matt's definitely in trouble. We know that because he needed to get the dagger to separate him from the dagger. Otherwise, he would die. And the dagger's gone. So... Ran was convinced up until this point that not only does he need to leave, he needs to leave alone. We talked in chapters before about him being mean to Perrin and Matt to intentionally push them away because mm-hmm. he ne- he feels he needs to go off on his own. But but Moraine, who seems to be pulling some heavy strings, wants him to go on this quest with the horn, with Matt, and with Perrin. So. Now, now, magically, there's a scenario where Rand has reason to not only stay behind, um, but stay with Matt. So even if they leave, he would want to stay with Matt, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Is, is this still is this still Moraine pulling strings, or is this? Like Moraine was just, was saying before, the pattern is just weaving itself, and there's nothing they can do now but go along for the ride. Yeah. I don't know. Thoughts, Chris? For me, I just again, I keep going back to how you said that every chapter from every book kind of plays on each other and it adds depth. And the idea, the choice is up to you, Shepard. I know I keep saying the word, but I have to keep doing it. They, he has no choice in the matter. Yeah. Since book one, chapter whatever, five, they've been stripped of their actual choices. Sure. So so this point, the dagger's been stolen. The horn's been stolen. Thane's gone. We're, we're kind of at a crossroads. And I wanted to go back because in the very beginning, we talked about the name of the book, The Great Hunt. And I think you guys were like, well, the horns aren't found. I don't understand the name of the book. So let's go back and revisit that for a second. 
<laughs> so maybe uh, they might be hunting for the horn. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure where Jordan's going with this one. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So any- he did a really good job of giving us hope in the beginning. Uh huh. And then just and then just snatching yeah. that shit away. <laughs> like you know, he hasn't killed any of my favorite characters yet, so I'm gonna let him slide. But he definitely knows how to like make you think and make you work. Yeah. So. So yeah, so at the end of these two chapters, any final thoughts for these two before we talk about the next two chapter names and sign off? Any final? Do we ever get to see Loyal fight? I know you can't answer. Like, oh, sure. We, we, we've had... <laughs> yep, we've there, had there we go. There's our answer. We've had some opportunities when he's been around and I'm like, ooh, what can Loyal do? Uh, and it'd be nice to see him whoop some butt, but where was Loyal? Ooh. Maybe Loyal was the one that came and set him free. Oh, snap. <laughs> I, I don't actually believe that. I just gave you no snap because that'd be crazy. <laughs> it would be like, that would be the ultimate twist. Like, maybe Loyal is like, not necessarily a dark friend, but he realizes that Patton Bane has a part to play in the figure. Maybe Patton Bane's to Baron as well. Oh, lordy. Maybe. Or maybe, I don't know. There's so many maybes, so many ifs. I mean, here's the other question. Where the hell was Lan? That's true. He shows up at the very end. At the very end, mm-hmm. there was no Lan was fighting. Lan didn't come in breathless, searching. He was just there chill out. What's up, sheep herder? Are you gonna leave or what? Yeah, he's he can't like he can't really make fun of make fun of him. <laughs> yeah, well, what was he doing for the hours prior to that? Mm-hmm. And where's Bella in all this? <laughs> and where is Bella? <laughs> like Bella just gave up on us entirely. She just pieced the fuck out. Maybe Bella let Fane out and. <laughs> <laughs> it was Bella. I mean, you would expect a horse to come down to a dungeon. I mean, that would have definitely have been fate would have been like, I would not have expected you. Yeah, no one would have seen that coming. Land. I know it. That's who it is now. It's Steve. Or Steve. Tom is back. <laughs> Steve. Steve. Anyway. Tom the White. So so this book, so uh, I've been enjoying this. Like, like I said, the first couple chapters, I was like, "Oh man, it's going to be slow," and then it's uh, it's been great for me ever since. Um, but yeah. I'm also he's got me all messed up because right when I felt like we were going to get more answers, and and I guess we did, shit just got all tossed up and chaotic again. Yeah, I, I mean, had my mind wrapped around a few things, uh, and now I'm just I'm back to coming up with just crazy possibilities and who knows including this book we still have 14 books including you know so (laughs) additional questions to be answered exactly Exactly. so next chapters so love these two chapters i love the chapter titles for them so the next two chapters are blood calls blood and the dragon reborn (laughs) (laughs) 
So let's talk about thoughts about the next two chapters, or at least the chapter titles. The Blood Calls Blood. Yeah, blood Calls Blood. Blood Calls Blood. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, what other references? Like, we've had the Blood of Manethrin. We've talked about that a lot. Uh, I don't know what that could possibly mean. I think it's too early for Matt to be blowing the horn. But who knows? Maybe it is. Well, the horn's gone. Or gone. so you think. It might be in Moraine's back pocket. You know, I thought that too. I was like, maybe Moraine just hijacked the opportunity mm. so that she could give it to the boys in secret and send them away. I mean, I, I'm excited to read these next couple of chapters because I, I was thinking that, but I feel like we'll find out quickly whether I just came up with something absurd or if that yeah. actually happened. So, and Dragon yeah. Reborn. Yeah. Okay. I think that one kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. But are we just going to get like it's... more history on that, more talk about the prophecy and what's going to happen? Or there's going to be, are we getting something definitive this early in this book about Rand stepping out and kicking ass and taking names? I think we need to confuse him and cause him much more headache and heartache. So letting him know that he is of greater blood than Manethrin and potentially the Dragon Reborn would be the way to go about doing it. Yeah. Why well, freak him out? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up uh, for this week. So how we can be found. We can be found on social media at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Wheel Reads. We're also on our email address is thewheelreads at gmail.com. There's kind of a theme going on there. You can find on Discord. Um, you got to get an invite for that one, um, but it's everywhere. It's actually in the description of this episode. So click on that. You can get a Discord channel. Lots of fun there. And if you want to listen to our episodes live or if you want early releases, it tomorrow in case you missed it. Well, obviously, you're listening to it next week. But for the next episode, if you want to listen to it early, we have Patreon as well. So patreon.com slash thewheelreads. Uh, feel free to um, to sign up for that. It's a great community of patrons as well. Um, uh, we get special Discord chat. Um, it's pretty interactive. Uh, not a bad way to go. Um, I think our patrons will say the same thing. Um, and then as far as anything else goes, just make sure you like, share us with uh, other new readers especially. Uh, love, love, love new readers. And if you are a first-time reader, please consider coming to our Discord because we love new readers and first-time readers uh, and interacting with them. Uh, and we don't spoil anything. We have a special role on the Discord channel for first-time readers that blocks you from um, most of the spoiler content. We can't block you from everything, but we block you from all the major spoiler stuff. And then we kind of, we'll coach you through what not to look at. Um, but definitely uh, love first-time readers to come in and interact uh, both with Chris and Ian and also just the, all the community that's there as well. So, uh, it's a very large community on there. So feel free to to join that. Um, anything else from you guys? Until next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to The Wheel of Reads. See y'all next time. <laughs>